0: Um, we didn't read verse seven. That's because uh, that will be coming to us next week um, via Sam. So if he didn't know it, he knows it now. He's pretty <laughs> The um, uh, really, the, the real, the actual real division does end in in verse six. Um, and it's always a tricky thing of where of trying. I mean, this is a a, a nerd insight that maybe nobody really cares about. But I'm going there um, to divide how sermon series versus like the literary kind of um, perspective, which is how maybe like the author was writing the thing versus the kind of subject matter. It's always a difficult thing. Um, and that's especially when you come, and this is not the situation today, but especially when we come to the larger chapters where there's like, you know, 40 verses or something like that. We're obviously not going to verse by verse and you can't really even go like literarily all the things that the author meant to, to uh, intended in that, but you can go on like the subject matter level. All that to say um, is always a bit of a trick uh, in any kind of sermon series of how to organize it. Um, so that's why we're in verses, these first six verses. And you see, you see, actually, I think you probably have the heading in your Isaiah book and probably in your Bibles as well, um, a, a servant song. So this is one of the servant songs. There's four of them. And uh, these first six verses um, are about this capital S, servant of the Lord. And what we're going to, one of the big questions, in fact, maybe like the big question we're going to get to today is this question of, what are we here for? Like, what are you here for? Not like the big cosmic, what are you here for? Like, what's humanity all about? But like, what are you here for? Like, even on Sunday, what, what are we doing? What's, what's the point of this? Why are we gathering together here? Um, and you can ask like, yourself that question tomorrow at 2 p.m. Like, what am I here for? And so that's what these six verses will really get to. Uh, and all of us really have a reason for being that is as unique as we are. Like, because all of us have a different reason for being here. And all of us, it's unique as, as unique as we are. It's kind of like a face. If you think about it, it doesn't take very many elements to make up a face, like two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth. And, and even then, you could probably make a face up with less than those things. But yet, with those very basic elements, that's created billions and billions of unique faces across the world. It's the same thing with words. This like, blows my mind. Like 26 letters in the English alphabet has created... How many unique words, how many unique sentences, how many unique books? I mean, you walk into any bookshop and like, that's just a really small percentage of all the books that have been written in English before. That's only 26 letters. It's even crazier when it comes to music. 12 notes in the Western diatonic scale, 12 notes make up all music that you've probably ever heard, mostly. That is insane. That's really insane. But just like a face, a book, or a song, our life has some larger similar elements to them. And if we get those similar elements wrong, then how we apply those elements will be like even farther off the case. So before we try and look at our unique kind of um, calling in this world, a unique reason for being here, uh, what we want to look at first is those larger common elements like the eyes is the noses and the faces or the the ears or like the twelve notes or the twenty-six letters and that's the kind of stuff we're gonna to get out today. Those big common elements that will eventually filter down into your own individual lives and give your own individual reason for being here. In Isaiah 49, in these six verses, it brings up three big categories. Calling, disappointment, and mission. Three really important things we're gonna look at. Calling, disappointment, and mission. Common elements for all humans. I don't care if you like Jesus, never heard of him, or love him, Everyone experiences these three things, but how these elements work themselves out uh, lead to billions and billions of unique lived realities, unique lived lives. So, what are you here for? We, if we get these broad reasons wrong, what hope do we have to get the more specific reasons right? It would be very difficult. Now, if we get some aspects of our calling or disappointment and our mission wrong, then how we apply those big ideas will be even more of a mess, even if we have the best of intentions. And this is what we get to hear today. What we all need to hear today is God is teaching us what our calling is. God himself is teaching us what it means to live through disappointment. And God has words for us today to let us know what our mission really is. And once we understand those bigger ideas, then we can begin to apply them and live them out in ways that might need to be corrected a bit. And living out of your unique identity, your unique calling that you have in life, your unique reason for being here, it's an amazing feeling when you're actually like get to step into that. And sometimes you're in jobs where you get paid to do that and you're like I can't believe I get paid to this, to do this. Sometimes you don't have those jobs but you like still you're like I can't believe I get to do this. this is the best thing in the world. Of course, it's not without its own disappointment because those big massive callings come with disappointments, but it is a wonderful way to live. So, let's jump into this first thing, this first aspect. And this is really these first 3 verses. We hear about the calling. What actually we're going to look at first is the calling of the Servant, capital S, and what that might mean for us as humans, or even if we follow Jesus, us as servants little s. The Servant's calling first is for this worldwide mission. Verse 1 says, listen to me, you islands, hear me, uh, hear this, you distant nations. We've already talked about how islands are kind of like the farthest reaches of the earth that people knew about, just kind of this metaphorical way, distant nations, that's not really a metaphor, is it? It's nations who are far away. Uh, and then, but also, so it's this worldwide calling, and this was uh, the servant's main thing. Before I was born, the Lord called me. This is like the servant's main thing, the main reason for being. It reminds me of uh, this verse in 1 Peter one twenty, where it says, he, speaking of Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Or when the angel spoke to Joseph in Matthew 1, Uh, The angel said, uh, talking about Mary, she's going to give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from his sins. Or the angel speaking to Mary in Luke 1 says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, Jesus' mission on earth was not like something he happened to do, was not a secondary thing. It was his main thing his primary thing, the reason why he came into this world. And his mission still is his main thing. It's still no secondary thing. So it was uh, worldwide, this is this servant's main thing. But also, uh, Jesus, the servant, is properly equipped. There's these kind of metaphors here uh, in verse 2. We have uh, a sharpened sword, a polished arrow. We have this like concealed in the Lord's quiver. The sharpened sword is basically, if you have a dull sword, you can't really do the thing it's supposed to do. So a sharpened sword, is the sword is effective for what it needs to do. To do. A polished arrow means uh, that the arrowhead will be polished in such a way where it would be able to fly straight, would be fly true. So it's authentic to what it was made to be. It's accurate. And concealed in the Lord's quiver. Um, again, this is the idea that in the, the, at the right time, when time is ripe, or as what Galatians might call the fullness of time, the Lord will uh, use this arrow for his own target that he's been aiming at for centuries, for millennia. And it's also personal, because this is something the Lord is kind of involving himself with. So the servant is, isn't, doesn't come without anything. The servant is properly equipped. And then we have these words in verse three. You are my servant, so he calls the servant Israel, and then this is a great thing, in whom I will display my splendor. And whom you will do. The Lord is saying to the servant, capital S. The Father is saying to the Son, You are going to display my splendor. You will be my work of art. You will be my symbol of beauty and life in this world. To look upon the servant is to look upon the beauty of God Himself. Now, Christianity believes this that when you put your trust in Jesus, be united to him. When you put your trust in the capitalist servant, you are united to him, connected to him in every way. Now that, there's a theological word for that, unification with Jesus or union with Christ or something like that. And that sounds, for if you've been around the church, it sounds right and true. But like, what does it actually mean? That's actually how we're going to tease out all these things. We're going to look at what union in Christ means. If we're connected to the servant, what in the world does that mean for our actual lives? Romans 6.5 is one example of teaching us this. It says, for if we've been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that sounds good, yep, sign me up, theological, okay, blah, blah, blah. But like, what does it actually mean, like in your real life? How does it actually change your life? That means when we trust in Jesus, we're united to him in his death and his new life and his resurrection. To be united to him in his death means all the parts of us that aren't shaped like Jesus, are put to death. All our sins put to death. All of sin's power over us, destroyed. Now the presence of sin is still there, but its power is gone. And to be united with him in his life, his new life, means that Jesus has reformed us and is reforming us into an image that reflects more of him and less of ourselves. We get a closeness, a oneness with God that changes our hearts and our minds. For all who trust in Jesus, you are also united to him. It's not like, if you trust him, then maybe do these other things, you united to him. No, if you trust him, this, this, this is a one-to-one thing. If you trust him, you are united to him. That changes who you are completely. It gives you a new identity. So that means, just as Jesus has a big calling, so do we. If we're united to him, then we're somehow connected to that calling. It always going to look different, because he's God and we're not. But we're united to him in everything, including his calling. And so what does that mean for us? That means, for us, our calling is is worldwide now you may not feel like you know you're worldwide jet setter running around like you know and all these kind of things but it does mean you are part of a people whose calling is worldwide it's diverse it's made up of something something so much bigger than ourselves something that our own imaginations really couldn't make up that means you're called to people who are similar to you And dissimilar to you. People who look like you and talk like you and act like you, and people who don't look look like don't look like you and don't act like you and don't talk like you. The church's calling, which is your calling, because the church is made up of its people, the church's calling is meant to be diverse. And that is ours. Now it's gonna look different for how we live it out, but the big picture is our calling is worldwide. And this calling is your main thing, if you trust in him. If you trust in Jesus, this calling is your main thing. Now We're all at different levels on how we're actually fulfilling that, and nobody here would say, like, oh, yes, I'm in there 100%. I'm the best. Like, we're all, like, we could probably get better at that. But we can get better and get worse at it, but that is actually our identity has been remade to now that is our calling. That's what it is. Every single one of us who follows Jesus, you're called out of your previous ideas of what you thought the good life was like, what you thought you should be chasing after. You're called out of that, now you're giving a new commission. We'll talk about mission later. But your main thing, your calling, is to display the splendor of God. That is what you get to do in your life. Just as the capital S servant does. The father through the capital S servant to us, to Jesus, says, I will display my beauty through you. That's what we get to do. So we need people displaying God's beauty in in diverse vocations, in the arts, in in administration in the workplace, uh, in staying at home with the kids, in the NHS and software development and customer service and law, and yes, even in ministry. Can you imagine? When we're united to Christ, what we thought was the main thing, that's put to death because we had it wrong. We might have had some good ideas, but it wasn't the best idea. Our small missions of a comfortable life, a good job, a good family, those things are great, but they can't be the main thing. That's put to death. So when we follow after those old things as if they're the main thing, we're traveling down a path that Jesus has already put to death. And if you follow him, it's a, it's, a, a path, it's not a, an, uh, an authentic path for you because that's not who you are anymore. It saves us from the self-centeredness of organizing life around ourselves and saves us to being able to be generous, being able to live in ways that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. What we get to do is follow him on the path that he's created us to be on, He's recreated us to be on that path. We're connected to Him, and it's His path we're on. And the main thing we get to do before anything else is display His beauty. Now that sounds very broad, very abstract, and very, very theoretical. And yeah, it is. That's going to look different for every single one of us. But also, as we're on this path, just like the servant here in Isaiah 49, we're equipped as well. God doesn't like say, "All right, now figure it out," and if you don't, going to hit you. The Father has equipped us to go. We don't go alone. We go with others. I mean, I was reading uh, a brief thing the other day that the, in the New Testament, the only disciple who ever acted alone was Judas. That's not good to go alone. All, anytime the disciples are always working together, like, I mean, that always, doesn't always lead to goodness in itself. But when we act alone, that, that leads us far off the path. Being with his church along his path polishes us, sharpens us. It's how God chooses to work. And I want to be where the Holy Spirit is at work. But that sounds great. We could talk about I could talk about that all day. I do like talking about that. But in every big calling, there is always disappointment. So we're going to make it real. we have got to bring it down to earth. You can avoid disappointment in your life if you'd like. You just need to shrink your life down, shrink your calling down, and have very kind of small mission in life. You could do that. The larger the calling, the bigger the disappointments. It was true of Jesus, and of course it's going to be true for us as well. So let's talk about disappointment and be honest with ourselves. We have a great calling, but our experience, I mean, how often does it really match up with this? I mean, even these three verses, how often does our our lives really match up with this? In the first half of verse 4, this is the servant, Jesus, the Son of God, saying, these are words that he's saying, but I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing at all. How did the servant Jesus deal disappointment? And not just any kind of disappointment, not like disappointment generic, but something, a specific disappointment here, disappointment in the calling that God has given us. Disappointment in the calling of bringing God's beauty into the world. Now, I think this verse is kind of surprising, and in some ways um, uh, disturbing, but then you think about it, it's actually really comforting because there's a humanity here. We're not just like mindless like, you know, robots that are going to be able to follow this thing. This is like the real world kind of is, is, is meeting up with, with our aims. It's surprising, but it's also refreshing because of the humanity. So what did disappointment look like for Jesus? If you think about it, surely Jesus experienced disappointment more than anyone else. He came into the world to bring life from death. And in some ways, he'd even rose, ra- raised people from the dead. He worked miracles. He healed the sick. The only perfect sermons in the world are the ones that Jesus delivered. He suffered for people who wanted him killed. And when he was falsely accused and arrested, his own disciples, his friends, the people he was living with for three years, pouring his life out for three years, uh, telling him that everything, sharing everything with them, they deserted him and they fled. His best friend even denied knowing him, not just once, but like three times, cursing the people who brought it up. And as he was dying on the cross, all that remained of this son of God's powerful ministry was one disciple... His own mother and like a few other friends and family. Surely Jesus, looking from the cross, could have said something like, "You, because uh, like I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength on nothing at all." And though this is said and and uh, felt out loud, that's not the end of the verse. That's not where the chapter ends. That's not even where the verse ends. This is the first thought. And it's actually good to have that thought because we're bringing that, we're bringing that up. But to live in only that first section of verse four will lead to a life of discouragement and depression and disappointment only. But there's more because in the next part of it, he says, yet, so there's a change here. Yet, what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with God. The message translation says, nevertheless, I'll let God have the last word. I'll let him pronounce his verdict. So, there's a level even in our disappointment of surrendering to that, you know, someone's getting that God knows better than I do. See, the reward for Jesus is with the Father, it's in the Father's hands. That's like the Son of God Himself. Resting faith in our Father is the answer to disappointment. Resting faith in the Father is the answer to our disappointment. It doesn't make the situation change, not at all. Jesus still died, we still go through disappointment but it does change how we go through it because our reward, if our reward is with God, and that actually, that changes a lot of things. We don't get the last word as much as we like to, as much as I like to, God gets the last word. So if we surrender a little bit of our pride, a little bit of our control, we can surrender to a bit of God's rule and resting faith in a God that will accomplish what he wants to is the answer to disappointment. So let's talk a little bit more on how being united to Jesus changes how we go through disappointment. United to Jesus, our faith in God helps combat some very real disappointments. I think, I mean, if you've been with Redeemer for any length of time, you know that planting a church can be a masterclass in disappointment, right? How, how many situations did we go through in order to end up at the pub? Even just on a sun, That's just finding a Sunday morning venue. That's 1% of planting a church, finding a Sunday morning venue. We went through loads of situations. Some of them great, some of them not so great. But we appreciate them all don't we? Because uh, we're Christians, and we have to say that. Now, planting a church in a place like Charlton, you know, it's, it's not like people in Charlton are clamoring for a church that's going to talk about the Bible and talk about Jesus. That's, that's not the kind of place we live in. And look, here, m- churches grow from from three ways, generally. One is transfer growth, just people who are already Christians going from one church to another. That can be a very good thing if it's an unhealthy church going to one that's healthy. That can be a bad thing if it's like the Christian version of consumerism, of like, I'm going to go there because they got the Cool music or whatever the thing is. So that's one way we don't grow through that because no one in Charlton was out of church to begin with. And I love that laugh, by the way, in the back. Uh, yeah, the, I would love to grow that way. I mean, that's it's great. That's how churches grow very quickly, and it is good to have people who come from unhealthy situations go and live in healthy situations. The other way churches grow is um, uh, is through people who are looking for a church but haven't been one, been at one. Uh, and they find the new church plant. Now, that's happened, I think, twice with Redeemer. Um, so that's not really how we're going to grow. The, the way that Redeemer will grow and has grown um, slowly is this third way, which is the longest way, the most difficult way, and the most disappointing way. And that's through people growing in their maturity and coming to faith. That's the most difficult way to grow. And that's how everyone says they want their church to grow when they plant but, you know, do people really want that? I don't know. If I had a choice, I wouldn't choose what we're doing here. But God, you know, let God have the last word, right? I'm just like anybody else. I'm just as stubborn and stiff-necked as anyone else. So the only way that we are really going to grow as a church is the long, difficult, disappointing work of people coming to faith. And people who have had maybe um, sparks of faith of fanning that into flame. That takes a long time. It's a lot of work. That's not something that you can put on like a few cool programs and accomplish. And that you can't just gather people together and that be done. It requires walking with people over a long period of time, and it's difficult, but it is amazing. It is really amazing. It's the most difficult path, but it's also most exciting. I think ninety-nine percent of that difficulty, for myself and probably for you guys, really is just to keep going, just keep doing our thing. To be able to process disappointment in the way that's found in this verse and elsewhere in the Bible is a necessity. I mean, think of what we've done. I think, I mean, as a small church, we've, we, God has allowed us to do some really amazing things. 700 people have the children, the, the, uh, the light switch on. That's amazing. How many people here on Sunday the next week? None. The Easter Monday fun day, we were inundated with piles and waves of families and kids, and it was insane and bonkers and chaotic and crazy. How many people came from that? None. Giving money to and organizing the Children's Arts Festival. That's a lot of work. Where are the people that are going to come from that? If you've been on a serving team on Sunday, thank you. Everyone should because we need people to help. It's a lot of work, right? Now, this is for us, but we know it's not just for us. It's for people who aren't here. It's for these, these chairs that are open. We want people to be here. Missional communities that spend hours bringing the gospel to others. The, the difficult work, if you're an MC leader, the difficult work of trying to lead people on mission, it doesn't really work all the time. Individual conversations that you have with neighbors or work colleagues, that you've had them over and over and over again, they just don't seem to be bothered. Is, it, is, is what we're doing worth anything? Is it all just a waste? Have we labored in vain? We know we've labored, that's true. Have we labored in vain? Now in some of these things we we should ask how can we change them to better reflect God's beauty because we do want people to know about God we don't just want to put on a community service but in some of these things we are doing what we believe God's called us to in fact all those things I mentioned I firmly believe God's called us to do all those things and it still ends in disappointment See you were created to uniquely reflect the beauty of God in your actions and in your words you are uniquely placed in relationships with others that nobody else has, for others to see the same kind of beauty. And you are properly equipped by the God himself for this very calling. And what does this calling so often feel like? It feels like disappointment nine times out of ten. But just as Jesus didn't stay in disappointment, looking at the small amount of followers at the foot of the cross, we don't stay there either because we are united to him. We feel it. We express it. We should be honest with it. We should talk about it. We should pray about it but it's not the last word. And if we're doing it right, if we're doing this ministry thing right, we will get disappointed in following our calling. And I can't help but think that it might be for most of us, myself included in Redeemer, we probably don't get disappointed enough or we're getting disappointed in the wrong things. I think we avoid God's calling being our main thing, generally, and the things that we really do get disappointed about are things that really have nothing to do with His calling at all. We chase after things that are not God, and when they show themselves to be not God, we get disappointed. I think it's probably most of our disappointment in life has felt like that. Do we feel more disappointed in our work situation than with the spiritual lives of those who we're working with? Look, COVID was bad. Let's all agree on that. We all experienced many disappointments. But if that's been the most disappointing thing in your life, that's, your calling is too small. In every big calling, there is always disappointment. And you can live a life free of disappointment. It's very easy to do that. All you have to do is just shrink down your existence, shrink down your cares, shrink down your heart, shrink down your worries. Being united to Jesus, though, if that is who you are, comes with the gift of those small callings being put to death and a new one is given. The larger the calling, the bigger the disappointment. And I want to do life with people who are willing to take risks and willing to work through that disappointment. Because on the other side of that, there's something to be found. So, with every big calling comes the risk of disappointment. And what does that calling lived out like? And that is what mission is mission is our calling lived out. And that's in these last kind of two verses here. The last, in verses five and six, we see the servant's mission Jesus' calling lived out. His mission was to Israel and to the world, to God's people. And to those who weren't yet God's people. See, verse 5, God has already called this servant Israel. And and, um, verse 5 is to bring Jacob back to him to gather Israel to himself. So this is Israel gathering Israel to himself. Jacob is another word for Israel, for the nation. So This is God's people. Within themselves, they're fractured. They're scattered. And Jesus, the servant, will bring God's people back to God. That's part of his mission. Jesus will gather God's people to God. But it doesn't end there, because that in itself, as amazing as that is, that in itself is too small of a mission for the servant, too small of a mission for Jesus to focus on merely an ethnic group or something to find through physical lines. And so verse 6 says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to just do that that Israel thing. I'm giving you something even bigger than that, a worldwide mission, the thing he talked about in verse 1. And the word Gentiles is just another word for all the nations that are outside Israel, which is really good news for anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish and you're here, the reason why is because verse six is true. That's an amazing thing. It's too small a thing for the servant, for Jesus, God himself, to focus only on the people who are already God's people. Jesus' mission is also to those who aren't yet God's people. To be a light in the darkness, to show the way of rescue and life and living to those who don't yet experience it. And this is how most of us Uh, can be united to Jesus' death and resurrection because Jesus' mission is worldwide. And the way that Jesus accomplished his mission was through his own death and his resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection is like the hinge point of history, like the hinge point of, of our own identity if you follow him. And without Jesus' death, all that we talked about here might be good ideas, but it certainly isn't true. Without his resurrection, all that we talked about here certainly isn't true. They're both necessary and amazingly good news for us. When we truly understand the union we have in Jesus, the connection we have to him, then the cross and resurrection become real and practical in our everyday lives and become something a little bit more than just like a theological thing to assent to, but they become like a real lived reality for us. See, why did it matter that Jesus died and rose again 2,000 years ago in a place that's different than here? Why did that matter? Well, it transforms our calling. It transforms how we go through disappointment, and it transforms our mission in life. If we are united to him, his mission becomes our mission. That's what we get. We are not Jesus, thankfully, and none of you have to be. I'm so glad I don't have to be Jesus. What we get to do is we get to bring him with us wherever we go. You don't have to be Jesus for anybody. You bring him with you. And all that we do, and whatever the unique callings he's given us, our mission is to gather in the scattered, That's an aspect of of putting God's um, uh, splendor on display to bring them close to God to bring with you the light and the darkness that you have within you, to bring with you the rescue that people need, whether they know it or not. Now, if you're a Christian or if you've been around the church for a while you might easily get the idea of your mission being for God's people, like the idea of being present on a Sunday or in missional communities, uh, and not just like present physically, but like present all in, like just sharing your lives. That might be something um, that whether we follow through with it or not, like at least, at least we understand that to be an aspect of the Christian life. But just as Jesus' mission is too small for God's people, so is ours. Our mission is also too small for just God's people. Our mission includes people who aren't yet Part of God's people. And one of the reasons Jesus died and rose again was to save us all from our small missions and to save us to something bigger. Having a life aligned with his mission means it changes how we act. It changes what we say. And not just in churchy situations where we might say like the churchy thing, I'm not saying like use weird churchy language with friends who don't get it. I'm actually saying don't weird, use weird churchy language anyway. Uh, just speak like normal human beings, please, can we? But the, when we speak to somebody, and uh, especially if they're not a Christian, to be able to talk about the gospel and how it might, um, how it's affected your life or how it might affect their life in a way that's normal, you're bringing light into darkness. Following through with that, is I think often seen as like, oh, that's for like the real holy ones. That's like the pros. You know, if you're really good, it's like, I'm just a normal baker. I'm not like a bake-off baker. And so like bake-off bakers, they're going to talk to people who don't know Jesus, but I'm just a normal person. I, just, I can just make it on a Sunday. Thanks. Like that's it. This is true for everyone because everyone who follows Jesus is a missionary. You might be a bad one. You might be a good one. You are one. That's what you are. You might it's it's who you are nonetheless, being true to yourself, your true self, is living a life aligned with your identity, and as a missionary, your life is different than those who aren't missionaries of course you should you, it should be different. you have a different mission than others, and you should expect life to look different because of that. The Christian life isn't going to some churchy things, thank God, I mean I like churchy things, but not as much as that like being my life. And this is the guy who has to organize them uh. So if anybody should have to like it, right, it's me. But those things are great. But it's more than that, right? It's lived out in the everyday because most of our life is normal and mundane and everyday. The churchy things are good, but they aren't the thing completely. How you speak to your work colleague when they open up about a difficult life situation. That's it right there. How you act when your neighbors are annoying. You just want to like throttle them. We have amazing neighbors. Anyone's watching? I doubt they are. <laughs> but so not everybody has, we have some friends who have some horrible neighbors. How, do, how are we going to act when, when, we, when, we're, when we're around them? How do you invite others into your everyday normal life for them to see everyday normal life instead of saying come to church? That's not the step, first step that people are going to need or that they want or maybe they should even take. As a follower of Jesus, your actions and words are called to be shaped by the mission of Jesus. And as we do, what we get to do it's something more than ticking off something. or something more to avoid the guilt of not doing it. It's if we get to display the beauty and splendor of God in our everyday, normal, mundane lives. In our everyday life, we get to display the beauty of God. Like in Jesus' bapt- baptism, when he was baptized, there was the voice of the Father. There was the image of what looked, like, what looked like a dove that was the Holy Spirit resting upon the Son who was baptized. And the heavens were ripped open and the father, looking down into this situation, a the, the voice from heaven said, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. This is before Jesus did anything in his ministry. This is my son. I'm well pleased. That image of Trinitarian beauty is what we get to be gathered into as we follow him. That is who we are before we do anything. That's who we are. That's what we get to reflect as we live out our calling. That's what we get to rely on when we go through disappointment. That's what others get to see when our lives are aligned with his mission. Other people get to see that. Before we do anything, our father says to us, that's my boy, that's my girl. He loves us, he's so excited about us. He's well pleased with us already. So we're not working to like try and avoid the guilt or trying to get more of God's goodness or something. We're working because we've already been so loved. There's so much love. It just, we, we can't hold it. It overflows. That's something that's a lot more attractive than this person's bad and I'm going to tell them they're bad. Or this person has to come to church with me. I know that's not generally how we're like. But generally, that's what people experience when it's talking about like evangelism or something like that. It's like, oh, this person's trying to sell me on something. Like, no, actually, I have been completely changed, and my life has been completely changed because of that. And I have so much love. It just, I, I, I would love for you to experience a little bit of that because it's amazing. It's like if you ever see a great band perform or something great in the theater or something, you're like, the next day, if you weren't to talk about it, people would assume that it was probably pretty lame. Like, oh yeah, oh you saw that band last night? Yeah, it was, it was all right. Like, oh, okay, well, I'm never going to see that band. Like, you saw that band, it's like, yeah, it was awesome. Let me tell you what happened. Like, oh, okay, I want to go next time that person comes around. Okay, we talked about three things um, today, calling, disappointment, and mission. The question uh, I'm going to ask, and we'll have, actually we'll have a little bit of an online poll. We'll see if the tech works, um, is what part of those, you have to pick one. You might say, yes, all three. Sorry, you have to pick one. What part of that do you want to lean more into? Wherever you are with Jesus or the church or the Bible in your own life, do you want to learn more about a calling that draws you into a life of mission or sorry, a life of meaning and worth? Uh, do you want to learn more about that calling that can that can speak to your soul? Do you want to learn more about what it means to live life through disappointment, something we all experience, to be able to endure it in a better way, finding rest and contentment even when we are disappointed? Or do you want to live more on a mission that will give you meaning? So we're all going to go. If you take your phones out, please. Um, if you go there, there should be a little link that you can, um, it should be a like, I should say poll or something like that. I'm going to go to, and as you vote, it will come up on here, I believe. Let's see if it works. Oh, there we are. Total result is zero. Yeah, we'll refresh it. What do you want to grow in? Um, learn more about your calling. Redeemer, Redeemer, MCR. MCR. Oh, sorry. Uh, RedeemerMCR.com slash ask. This is so techie now. It does, or is it techie enough? I don't know. So that's the website there. And there should be a take-pull button. We're stealing all your data. No, we're not. I promise. It's actually um, all completely anonymous as well. Um, That's actually something I'm interested in. I'll give you guys a second, and then we'll see. But I think it's also sometimes helpful to see where other people are at. Um, Anyone needs any help? If you're still looking at your phones, I'm going to assume that you're um, still doing it. Nope. All right, let's see. <laughs> I gave me the results, but not where the results are. <laughs> hmm. There's eleven results. Let's see. What happens if I vote in one? Let's see. I want to live through disappointment. Was well, not interesting. I'll. That is my account. The um. Going from yeah. 60 to Uh oh. <laughs> <in> <laughs> I'll bring it up. I'll I'll bring it up actually um before we sing. Let's talk about um so that's really helpful information because if let's say like fifteen slash sixteen of the people <laughs> all say oh, man, we need to, I, I just, we need to like, learn more about like, disappointment, how to process it, how to endure through it. That, you know, That's really good information to know and good information for us all to know. Um, oh, here we go, live everywhere results. But if it's something like, oh, calling, I'd like to learn more about that, that changes everything as well. Where do you want to grow? See, I'm not getting any results here either. Okay, it's a complete failure. What I will do, we'll find out something else before the service is over, I promise you. You'll get the results. I know. It's I'm, I'm, a, a disappointment creating machine that we've all stepped into and that we're all part of it. And the thing is, how are they, how are they, hmm, i just taking notes how everyone's responding. Now the, um, well, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. see, oh, that that, power, oh, is that? No, that's just a PowerPoint thing. Oh, okay. Yep. And it's gone now anyway. So we talked about Jesus' death and resurrection. A lot, which is good. It's what we should do on a Sunday, right? Uh, and, Right before he died.